We are just about to jump right on. Turned on Clubhouse, check. Facebook Live, check. And just a warning to anybody wanting to come up and ask questions, I'm recording this for my podcast. So this is basically a live podcast and an opportunity for you, if you have a question about this really important topic, to jump on. So if, welcome if you're in Clubhouse. If you're meeting me for the very first time, um, you're in my Facebook community, Trigger Proof, um, you've been lurking, you're check this out on YouTube or you've uh, got a hold of my podcast and you're just kind of new at this game, welcome. My name is Nima and uh, I retired from chiropractic this year and it's been tough letting go of my old identity. Um, I'm pursuing my vision, my dream. About seven years ago, I made a declaration. It was 2014. So it was that six, seven years ago, I made a declaration while I was in an Indian restaurant with my good friend, Lisa. And I said, everybody coming in to see me is really, are really dealing with stress-related problems. And it feels like I'm helping, but there's something deeper that I want to go into uh, teaching people. I want to get to the root cause of the root cause. I made that declaration. And I don't know if you've ever experienced this. Let me know when you make a decision, when you make a declaration, when you choose something greater, choose to expand yourself, boom. Um, it comes in a way where you don't uh, expect it often. <laughs> it's often in a way where you don't want it. So it's like, oh, I want to learn, you know, I want to uh, go deeper in understanding what my purpose is. I've heard one of my clients said at, at one day, and then a month later, she was diagnosed with a chronic illness. And it's like, oh, shit. And now she's on the path of healing that. She's healed that. And she now is teaching others how to do it. So when you make it the kind of the moral of that story is be careful what you wish for. Uh, the, the way that it's funny, the way that life works, I'm getting very philosophical here, but when we want something greater for ourselves, when we, we make a, you know, we, we want something, we, we have a desire that we set an intention for, uh, God, universe, universal intelligence, whatever you want to call it, if we can get a little woo here, uh, throws what appears to be an obstacle in your path, but it actually, when you really look at it and you've really kind of integrated it properly and worked through it, you see that the obstacle was the way. And for me, I made that declaration. I want to travel the world and teach people the real root cause of healing, not just seeing patients with stress-related problems. I want to go upstream. I want to teach people that it's all about attachment trauma. It's all about unresolved trauma from childhood, uh, trauma with a big T and trauma with a capital, capital T and trauma with a small T. There's a huge distinction. I'm going to share that in a moment, why that's so important. And because of that dissociation from, you know, the real cause, those unresolved attachment traumas, big T and small T, uh, because of those unresolved, they stay in our body our amygdala remembers. And so it gets triggered again and again and again through our interactions, especially in relationships, because most of our traumas 
unfortunately are interpersonal. Most of them. It's not <clears throat> not to say you didn't have car accidents or uh, you know you 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 went through you know near death experiences and all that. But the majority of our traumas are interpersonal. So when we walk around with these unresolved traumas, interpersonal traumas within our body, well, guess where they come out? Well. They start to show up in your teenage years when you start getting in relationships with people, social group, uh, romantic relationships. And I was no different. And so as I went into my own healing from my own uh, attachment traumas, getting divorced maybe 10, 11 years ago, going from one kind of relationship dynamic, repetitive pattern after another, I uh, realized I had to you know, become my own medicine first. And if I could figure out how to heal, not just cope, how to actually heal what was causing me to react and show up and behave in very uh, predictable ways in my relationships, my predictable kind of attachment style was avoidant. I would deeply crave connection, but then when it got close, or there were threatened to be an attachment, uh, I would fear that loss. I knew that there was something going on. I just didn't have a word for it. And then I would, you know, push push that away. And there was this push-pull dance, and it just kept repeating until one day, ag- against my will, I couldn't ignore it anymore. And it was actually the police had to be involved. And so most of us don't go into our healing journeys as you're listening to this and we're talking about coping versus healing. Most of us don't come into this type of work uh, voluntarily because things are going fucking awesome. <laughs> it's actually quite the opposite. We There's a wake-up call. And so I'm going to invite you to kind of look and see what was your wake-up call. I'm curious, maybe even write in the chat box what your wake-up call was. If you're watching on replay on the YouTube, uh, on YouTube or on Facebook Live, I'm broadcasting live right now just write down what was your wake-up call was it a divorce was it a infidelity you either met somebody and you had an affair and just like what the fuck just happened or it happened to you and you have feel betrayed by it um there is usually a what other wake-up calls a financial collapse another wake-up call is a health issue You get a diagnosis, you get diagnosed with generalized anxiety, with bipolar, with depression, with um, digestive issue, hormonal issue. Every single client I've ever worked with, uh, when we talk about a health crisis, a good question you would like to ask yourself, I'm sure, uh, just to kind of dig in a little, if you've ever put the two and two together, is from the time of my diagnosis of what I was going through, Six months to a year prior to that, what was the attachment trauma? Attachment means relationship attachment breakdown. What was that attachment trauma that I encountered? You know, was it a grief of a death of a loss of someone, loss of a dog? I just went through, we just lost two dogs in the last two months, old senior girls. So I understand attachment trauma. It's something... If you're a human being and you've lived to the age of 20, 30, then you've for sure experienced the painful uh, experience of attachment trauma. And it stayed, and these attachment traumas 
are often the little T traumas. I'm going to talk a little bit more about little T traumas that, that we carry in our bodies. And they inform our choices, our behavior, our desires, what our feelings of deserving. And these, these attachment traumas um, impact our nervous system and it impacts our health. So whatever your wake-up call was uh, into, if you're in this conversation, you're listening, it's because you're interested in healing. You're here because there's some sort of expansion that you're calling yourself to. You wouldn't have found your way into this, in the limitless ways and in, in, uh, limitless uh, web pages and apps and everything. Well, you're here. You're here for a reason. You're here listening to this for a reason. It's because you have this question about healing. And it wasn't until uh, I broke up in my last relationship and I wanted answers. And after that breakup where it was, there was so, it was public, there was a bit of a scandal it was, I was, there was a lot of shame involved. And so I just went into hiding. I went into what I didn't know at the time. Uh, it was depersonalization, derealization. I was basically in what we, what I now understand based on the training that I've done since then, that was kind of my wake up call that led me into this conversation I'm having, um, was that I was dissociated. Uh, I was disconnected from my feelings. I couldn't feel. I couldn't actually feel. And I started to go back to the tools that I had acquired all of my life for personal growth, which afterwards I realized it was all another attempt, a, a, a strategy to not feel. And so it was almost like the universe cornered me into a, a, a dark, scary corner and said, you cannot get out of this with your old kind of coping strategies. And I realized, holy shit, whether we did um, uh, counseling, therapy, whether you do medication, whether you take something, you take some sort of a pill, you take some sort of a, a, an external thing to cope, all of the work that I was doing, including with who I consider a genius still to this day, John Martini's work, Byron Katie's work, Landmark, all of these strategies of personal development, I realized when I got it, I was like, holy shit, these are all just strategies so that I don't feel. And I was like, oh my gosh. I realized, my gosh, I've been teaching and living with coping strategies and I hadn't really healed I'd coped and I had uh, really come a long way. I mean, look at what I've been able to achieve by coping, you know? And so first thing I want you to get is that all of the strategies that we've used to cope with the painful emotions of our childhood aren't bad or wrong. They are coping strategies for us to survive, to make it through. You wouldn't be able to say that you're here listening to this if it wasn't for your ability to cope. So first step, congratulate yourself. <clears throat> the reason why I say that is because as soon as people start doing our work, within a very short period of time, they start to facepalm. 
they start to grow a deep sense of resentment for what they've done in the past, which is what I went through as well. They were like, I, I just been doing counseling for 20 years and I realize I've been avoiding. I've been avoiding my feelings. I've been, I've been using counseling to get my story or therapy to, to tell my story, to validate my story, and I've never really healed it after they start doing the work that I'm, I'm, I'm talking about. And so I want to introduce you to a concept that might be new to you if you haven't really gone beyond the cognitive bypassing strategies we use and call them healing or mental health uh, tactics, cognitive behavioral, landmark, Demartini, all of the, all of these coping strategies for unwanted emotions are the opposite, I realized, to feeling, to, to actually healing. And so when I realized this, I was sitting there and I was like, oh my gosh, I can't feel anything. I, I can't wish these feelings away. I'm, I feel anxious the whole time. I feel dissociated from my body. I don't feel anything. You know, I, I, I know I want to cry, but I can't. There's something, just there's this. And when I did my first breath work, I, I enrolled in a kind of relation, conscious relationships type of training. And part of that training was to do breath work. And I didn't really understand what that was. I didn't know what it was. But we laid down and we all did our kind of breathwork practice and I went into it and within about 20 minutes I can't explain <laughs> in words properly but if you've ever done this work you know what I'm talking about I regressed back and this was after my breakup and I was trying to make sense of what the fuck just happened it was a wake-up call and I hadn't worked in a while and I couldn't help other people couldn't be this character, Dr. Nima, that I concocted just to kind of avoid feeling my own insignificance. I actually just became a student. I'd stopped being a teacher and I became a student for a while. I said, I'm not teaching anything. I want to become a student and really get to the bottom of this. And I did a breathwork ceremony session. I surrendered back into it. And within 20 minutes, I regressed back to, I can't explain it, but I went back to my birth. I didn't even know. I didn't even remember. And so I start, I'm a twin and I felt an experience. This might sound a little weird. And as I'm saying it, I'm just kind of like, this is really weird for me to say, because if three, four years ago, if I told you I was having this conversation, I would have thought you were crazy, but, or I was crazy, but I'm saying it. <laughs> I regressed back to the experience where I was born. And I'm a twin and my brother was born first and I re-experienced it. That's why they call breath work. They, another name for breath work is rebirthing. So our students who participate, they say, I went back to the womb. I went back to the womb. One of our calls today, Maureen was like, yeah, on my last breath work, I went back and I re-experienced life in the womb. It's weird. Why does that happen? When you do breath work, it slows your brain waves down. And it kind of is like a hypnotic state where your brain waves change into more of an open, receptive, unconscious, kind of semi-conscious state. And any traumas, any injuries, any feelings, sensations, trapped emotions because of events that we've gone through that we've buried, we've repressed, we've denied, we've turned our back on, all of a sudden there's a safety for those experiences to be resurfaced. 
And I saw my brother leave and literally I started repeating, oh my God, I'm so scared of being alone. I'm so scared of being alone. Ah. And then I started screaming. It was in a room full of like 50 people, <laughs> but I just let it out. I was just terrified. I was shaking. And I started, I'm, t I'm so scared of being alone. I'm so scared of being alone. I'm so scared of being alone. And I worked through those and then kind of worked through that. It was about five, 10 minutes of absolute terrifying fear. I thought I was not gonna make it. But then I finished and I had my kind of, the, the, the person who was you know facilitating there was there the whole time, they call it a sitter. And I was there and I was like, oh my gosh, like all of a sudden my, my face was flushed. I felt exhausted. I felt this calmness. And then I got present in my body to, holy shit, that just explains every relationship that I've ever chosen. I've done all, I was embarrassed. I've done all these years of personal development, therapies, personal growth. I place on a high value. I invest in my own personal growth. I actually did a calculation with coaching and training. It's, I, ca I call it training and then now, including my um, chiropractic training. So I haven't left that out. I've spent seven figures on training my own personal growth. And so, you know, that's why I'm not, I don't feel any, um, I don't feel any trepidation about any levels of success that I achieve is because I've paid my dues and I've done the work and I've cried the tears. And so it's really neat when I decided, you, you decide that you're going to invest in, in high level training for yourself because you have this one shot at life and you wanna make it a great one. So I, uh, I, I was kind of embarrassed. All these trainings, hundreds of thousands, seven figures, and I did one breathwork session and I could literally explain why I chose every relationship. You see, based on that experience, I discovered that I unconsciously, because I didn't even know, because when you're born, I mean, some of the memories you're holding on to in your body right now happened before you even had language to be able to describe it. So I wouldn't have been able to replay that at a therapist's office because I didn't even know it was there until I got into my body and I felt and released it, immediately I got present, felt sense presence to why I kept choosing the partners that I would. I would deliberately choose wounded birds that I felt were disempowered so that I could protect myself from that painful experience of being alone. I'm so scared of being alone. I'm so scared of being alone. I was like, oh shit. I literally got in my face the reason why, and it's not my fault, but it's just the reason why I chose the partners that I chose. That was four years ago, and that was after my breakup, and I was like, I don't care whatever price I have to pay, whatever distance I have to travel, I gotta figure out how to do relationships. They're not working for me. And so I started becoming a student, and I went into the body, because I had done all the mind work. I'm very intelligent, highly, quickly good at thinking on my feet. That wasn't the problem. My problem was that I was using personal growth strategies as coping 
and I wasn't actually healing. And it wasn't until I learned how to get into my body where a door of healing began to open. And that began my journey of getting out of my head and getting into my body and learning that I was not able to feel. And I wasn't able to heal until I could feel all of those painful memories that I've been doing all of this personal growth stuff to avoid, to deny, to suppress. So as I started doing that and I started learning how, I started finding guides, mentors, and I started reading books, listening to content, and started to practice and realize that I couldn't do it alone because I didn't have the training and how to feel. And uh, nobody could do it for me. So I couldn't have a coach do this work for me. I started to surround myself with the right team of people that could guide me back into feeling because I realized that every coping strategy is a, often a way to avoid feeling. And if I could just get better at feeling, um, then I'll probably be able to heal. And if I could heal, maybe I could break the cycle and do what I've never been able to do. Have a healthy, secure relationship. That's safe. That feels mutual. That we learn how to repair when we have conflict. That feels safe. That doesn't produce anxiety. That doesn't... Uh, that I don't want to get away from because it's getting too close or I'm not so needy in. Uh, and if I can do that, maybe I could have a family. Maybe because I'm at the time I was 43 years old. I have a twin brother who didn't have that uh, same, same wounds and totally didn't have the same experience. He had more of a secure attachment to my parents. Um, all of a sudden, I just committed to doing that work. And lo and behold, I was able to see a difference. I was able to produce different results. I was able to feel safer in my body. And so what I wanted to do was to share with you some strategies that you got to start incorporating if you want to change from coping to healing. And the first way that I really wanted to share with you, and of course, I'm going to invite a couple people up, whoever really feel uh, inspired to ask a question about it. And on Clubhouse, the first thing I really wanted to share about this is that um, we have to understand why we suck at feeling, why we suck at feeling in the first place. Um, and there was a line that I learned, uh, Gabor Mate said it when I heard him say it first, and it really stuck with me, and I want you to write this down. If you want to heal, you got to stop putting your aim towards feeling better. And you got to start looking to become better at feeling. In other words, it's not about feeling better. Everybody's obsessed with feeling better for good reason. I'm going to share with you. This is part of the small T trauma that leads us down this dark path. And it's so insidious that you're no, that without a doubt, you're passing it on to the kids. And this is why it's important to me because I want Dominic to have a completely different experience. It's not about feeling better. It's about getting better at feeling. And in order for us to really get why we suck at feeling, we got to go back in time and understand parenting, the way that we were parented. 
if you were parented by with parents who haven't done their own trauma healing work, chances are they haven't. They've been raised with discipline, having children be well-behaved, comply, and have discipline. Um, what happens is when the child behaves or has emotions that are outside of this box that the parent has as an expectation, we then, the parent then has a reaction, an internal reaction. And because the parents, our parents didn't really do their trauma healing work, they will have a tendency when we have big emotions, anger, sadness, despair, because our parents didn't understand their emotions, they didn't know what to do about their emotions, they will react to our emotions with three different ways. The first way, I'm gonna write down here on the thing, the first way is denial. You've been listening to the Trigger Proof Podcast designed to teach you the most important skill necessary for a dramatically changing world, which is nervous system regulation. Becoming trigger-proof doesn't mean trigger-less. It means learning how to regulate ourselves to bring us back to center so that we can then be governed by our purpose rather than from our wounds. Anytime there's reactivity, there's a wound. And if you're curious and inspired to learn more, join us at Breathwork and Badassery or the overview experience and a combination of both actually helps you do the work. There's a difference between listening to a podcast and actually showing up live and doing the work with a badass community who's all about breaking cycles of intergenerational trauma. It didn't start with you, but it can end with you if you're willing to do the work. See you at the next perfect time. We'll deny our emotions. If you've ever had the experience where you have those big emotions, ah, you shouldn't feel that way. You know, oh, that never happened. No, you're not hurt. You're not upset. And it, it this isn't because parents are bad. If you're a parent, you might get triggered listening to this. This isn't to shame parenting. This is a cycle that has gone on long before your parents even were born. This has been going on for centuries. Because a parent doesn't know what to do with a child with big emotions, what we'll do is we'll, we'll deny them. No, you're not upset. No, I don't, I don't wanna look. I don't want to look at you and see that you have big emotions because if I look and see that my child has big emotions, that would mean I'm a bad parent. And the greatest threat to the ego, to the human ego is being bad. So we will deny to protect, the parent will protect their own unconscious inability to deal with their emotions by looking at that child and denying them of their own emotion, their emotions because that's how they were parented. And the child then has the experience where they're having these big emotions and they're, having, they're, they're being denied, they're being gaslit. That didn't happen. So they're invalidated. Now, a five-year-old, a 10-year-old doesn't have the ability to go, oh, you're so gas, you're gaslighting me. The child then says, 
I'm having these emotions. My parent figure is denying them that they're not there. So the message that I'm, my nervous system is getting is there must be something wrong with me. So I then, the child then learns to abandon themselves. And when big emotions come up in adulthood, without getting to the root of this, when big emotions come up in adulthood, we will parent ourselves the way that we were parented by denying our own emotions, denying them, saying, oh, and how do we do that? We either beat ourselves up for having them or we will actually turn our backs on them and we will repress them. We'll put them in a box, store them in the, in the basement, never to be seen again. But unfortunately, there's something really shitty that happens when we do that. What happens? They come back to haunt us through illnesses, through anxiety. These are the messages. Anxiety is a message of some sort of a denial often, a repression, a not looking at what real emotions are under there. And then we can always take a pill for that and keep denying them, but they are not gonna go anywhere and they just keep bubbling like a pressure cooker. The second way that parents unconsciously, if you're a parent, you probably have done this, let's just call it out, unless you've actually committed to becoming a cycle breaker, chances are you, you haven't yet learned the skill of being able to call yourself out and being able to look at that and then make the correction because it takes work if you haven't done the work. So the second thing that you'll do that the parent will do is dismiss. You'll dismiss those emotions. Ah, you're fine. Ah, whatever, you're fine. Let it go, suck it up, buttercup. And we'll dismiss those emotions. And so what happens is the message that I get as a child when I'm having big emotions, anger, sadness, whatever, and I'm work and I'm attached to a parent figure who hasn't done their trauma work, the experience that I get as the child is, is that when I have big emotions coming to you to fix them, to help me with them, to help me cope or guide me is fruitless. So they're gonna be dismissed. So number one, I'm gonna learn to become an island. This is where avoidant strategies come up. This is what happened with me. My parents don't know what to do with their emotions. So when I would come up, they would deny and dismiss them. Not because they're bad people, but because they didn't know what to do about it. And so I learned that it's not safe to come to them with my big emotions. In fact, it's actually dangerous. I end up feeling worse. So it's just safer to deny me, deny them, dismiss them, or just kind of become an island and really focus on avoiding bringing other people into it. Let me know if this is resonating with you at all. Does that resonate? So denying and dismissing is the second one. And the third way that parents unconsciously create small t trauma that causes us to dissociate from ourselves. The third way is, is not properly guiding. Not properly guiding us into safety, right? It's kind of like Dominic having a tantrum. And because Dominic has, has a tantrum, my body gets activated because I feel what, embarrassed if I'm in public, I feel ashamed if I'm supposed to be working, I'm feeling 
stopped. I'm feeling hindered. I feel like he's in my way. What's happening is my nervous system is going into a past event where I feel stopped, stymied, shamed, and I make it about me. And then I turn and I see that my son with his big emotions is in my way. And then I react to him. And what does that do to his nervous system? As a two-year-old, three-year-old, four-year-old, five, ten-year-old, he doesn't interpret it as, hmm, my dad's really un unable to autonomically regulate. He's knocked back into a wound. This got nothing to do with me. No, he doesn't do that. What he'll do is say, there must be something wrong with me. The net result of all of this stuff happening, the net result of all of this happening is that the child learns not to trust their emotions, not to trust their feelings, to shame them, to judge them, to abandon them, to, to blame them, and to think that because the shadow emotions come up, that must be something wrong with, there must be something wrong with me. So I'm gonna put on a mask and a persona that says, I'm fine, I'm totally fine. And when big emotions come up, I will adapt by cutting myself off from feeling and dissociate. Dissociation becomes the unconscious strategy to, to cope with the self-hatred that happens when we have big emotions. It was a eureka moment when I realized that that was what was going on in my life. That was how I was showing up in my relationships. My abandonment of myself of, with the, the, th through my own emotions caused me then to not have any tolerance for somebody else's emotions. For fuck's sakes, I created a career in helping people get rid of their nasty, unwanted emotions. I was very successful at it until I couldn't move forward in my own life because I've been gaslighting myself all this time for good reason, because of small t trauma, my emotions were not met properly. My emotions were not, I was not guided into understanding them. I was given the message that my emotions were bad, wrong, uh, and I did really great at coping. I became very successful coping from that gaslighting myself. I would gaslight others and I showed up in relationships in my marriage, for example, how that how this disconnect from myself showed up in my first marriage where we got into a, a rupture and she checked out. She went into dissociation, completely checked out because she was threatened. She got a threat when I kind of said, I don't want to be married. This was in our third year. I said, I don't want to be married anymore if this is going to be like this. Boom, all of a sudden, her attachment traumas of her father leaving comes up and she dissociates. Why? Because that's how she coped as well. Just like you, just like me. So if you're in the freeze response, you, you, quote by, you, you cope by freezing and dissociating, you're in good company. That's how most people who've been gaslit about their emotions, it's a form of self-abandonment. Because I don't know, I, I, I'm, I'm broken. These feelings are not appropriate. I've been, I've been told they're inappropriate since I was a child, so I'm going to put them away. When big emotions just threaten to come up, 
all of a sudden, two things happen. You either suppress them consciously, if you've ever noticed yourself like, mm, no, I'm not going to go there. Nope, nope. Or apologizing for your emotions. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Sorry, I'm going to cry. I'm sorry, sorry, sorry. That's your inner child who's experienced punishment, judgment, abandonment, blame, and shame for having their emotions. This is small t trauma. And it's just as impactful to your nervous system as like even physical violence a few times because you've had this happen dozens of times throughout your life, maybe hundreds. And we now have a society of people who've been gaslit with by their emotions and then they show up in their relationships like I did in my first marriage where she had these emotions and I would be like, any sadness? And I'd be like, what's the matter with you? Why are you so sad? In other words, I can't tolerate how I feel inside because of what you feel inside. Classic enmeshment. I didn't even know I was happening. This is floating in the background of most unconscious relationships, most codependency, like all, <laughs> you know. This is the real pandemic that's happening. So several failed relationships later going into the same coping strategies, I got into somatic work. I healed with those younger parts and I learned how to change my relationship with my nervous system from judgment, abandonment, blame, and shame to a sense of understanding. And so that is what the focus is of all of our trainings of becoming trigger-proof. It's not about avoiding it's about going in. And so I'm going to give you a few strategies to kind of think of first and foremost, and then give you an opportunity if you're actually serious about learning how to do it to, to, to not just talk about it or read about it, but do it. I mean, you're not going to undo this coping strategy by watching YouTube videos, by listening to podcasts and by reading books. It can't happen. You actually have to show up. And the first thing that uh, that we do, first thing that you do to break this cycle of coping uh, by dissociating from feeling is to really learn and really uh, identify what it is that you're getting from avoiding. What it is that you're getting from avoiding. So the first thing, I want you to just kind of think about what's the benefit of me shutting away from feeling. It could be it could be that you have uh, an experience where you feel by cutting away from emotion, then I could prevent myself from going into that pit and losing all control. That's the first step is to really own that by shutting off feeling and dissociating from feeling, I get to maintain control and really celebrating that. By meeting yourself there with empathy, you now, instead of judging yourself for your coping strategy, you're starting to change the relationship with yourself with empathy. I really get, hey Nima, I really get why you're trying to avoid feeling. It's to keep you safe. You don't want to lose control. You don't want to go there. A lot of the people, peeps in our uh, programs, they say the same thing. I'm afraid that if I go there, I'm never going to come out 
kind of like, I'm going to start crying and I'm never going to come out. That's one of the big fears. So that is another reason why you're going to be, there's going to be an obstacle for you to do this. That's why it's really important to have a community container and a guide, somebody who's skilled to be able to kind of watch you and guide you in and create a container where it's safe to feel because you never had that before. So you have to first, number one, acknowledge what you get out of avoiding feeling. It's, you wouldn't do it if it wasn't a strategy. Just escaping up into your head, trying to ruminate, ruminate, ruminate as another anxiety is another coping strategy to not have to feel. I'd rather feel anxiety. I'd rather have anxiety than to feel my resentment. I'd rather have anxiety than to feel the rage that I feel because rage was not appropriate either as a child. I'd rather have anxiety than to feel the shame of what I'm experiencing. All of these disorders are unconscious strategies to not feel. So number one is to really give yourself permission to avoid feeling. It's a coping strategy. It's what you've been using all along. It's worked for you. But then you got to get to the question, what is this costing me? And the cost is if a lack of self-trust. Without connecting to my feelings, I can't connect to that inner compass in my life that guides where my true north is. So I can't know what my purpose is. People say, I don't know what my purpose is. I'm like, I know why, because you don't have connection to feeling. Because your feelings and emotions are your compass. And if you've been suppressing and avoiding, then you don't have connection to your compass. It's really painful. As painful as it is to feel, it's even more painful to be dissociated and feel like you're drifting, like a raft on an ocean. Just, just swaying by the tides, having no grounding to yourself. Without knowing how I'm feeling, I'm not connected to my desires. I'm not connected to my deserving. I'm not connected to love. So we build walls up because of that pain. We don't wanna feel and it keeps us safe, but it pushes love away. And it wasn't until I started taking action steps towards finding a community, a guide, going into breath, guide, going into breath work, learning how to heal with that younger part of me that coped by escaping into his mind, finding in intellectual strategies to cope and keep myself safe. And I realized that I had to learn how to feel and connect with those younger parts. So, um, hold on one second. I'm just gonna have a, give me one second here. I have to, yeah. Just had to move my other appointment because I really wanted to share this. I was just went a little bit over what I thought. So the first thing, step one, please write it in the comment section. Actually, I would love to hear, love, to, love for you to acknowledge this. Step one is to um, acknowledge what you're getting out of avoiding feeling. Step two is to then see, okay, so this is to motivate you to actually 
change? What happens if I don't change? What's been the cost? What's been the cost of me not feeling? Yes, it's kept me safe, but I don't have intimacy with my family. I'm passing the same patterns down to my kids. Uh, it's bad for my health, actually. Yeah, if you if if you don't if I don't get if you don't get this right, then you will. You know, when you're dissociated from your body, every this is what I realized with chronic illness. People with chronic illness and chronic pain. Chronic pain is a good one. Chronic pain, chronic fatigue. Guess what it is? It is dissociation, which is what we call dorsal energy in um, polyvagal theory. It's when we shut down, we dissociate from feeling because it didn't feel safe to feel as a child. We run from those feelings, escape, and go into pleasing and appeasing, and then our body starts to break down and we start to get chronic pain. It's your body's last-ditch effort. It's your inner child's way of saying, please take care of me. Because oftentimes the only time if you ever had connection with family or you got attention as a child was when you got sick well guess what's going to happen as an un what your inner child guess what your inner child is going to do the younger parts of yourself are going to do for you to finally get the attention from yourself oh now you have a chronic illness you have chronic pain well guess what you have to set up appointments with a doctor ah oh get to prioritize yourself for once in your life you get to feel deserving you get to lay back and have other people you know take care of you you get to without guilt because you now have this illness right and so these are all unconscious strategies our younger selves try to do we think that it's sabotaging ourselves but it's actually self-protective and it, it, it's really a mind-blowing it's really mind-blowing that anxiety that self-sabotage, that illness, that getting myself injured is a way of protecting myself. But it's actually these younger parts that I've disowned, that I hate, that I refuse to address. These parts screaming for my attention. And if I don't answer the call, then it starts to impact my health and I start to show up in my behavior in my adaptive, reactive behavior. I start becoming, I regress and turn into this wounded child. I start to uh, fight. I start to run away. I start to freeze like that little child did. And where I start to fawn and go, oh, I please appease. Yes, I agree with everything. Okay, abandon my own needs. And these patterns keep going, keep going because I didn't learn how to feel. Nobody taught me, nobody guided me how to feel what I had been avoiding. So the first step, and you can repeat back, is to acknowledge what you're getting out of not feeling. Part B of it is to really get present to what it's costing me. What is costing you? What is it costing me to not feel? Well, all of my relationships are inauthentic. All of, I just have these masks on of I'm okay. I'm okay, I'm fine, this, this mask on. Or this other mask of, oh, poor me, poor me mask, which is the only way I could get attention if I could just play that victim. That was the only way that I could get attention from my primary caregivers because I'm not willing, because I hadn't been taught how to reconnect with those younger parts because I abandoned them because I was taught to abandon them. 
that's the only way because I felt abandoned from parents that abandoned themselves who were raised by parents that were that abandoned themselves. Boom, boom. Generational gaslighting right onto your lap, showing up in your relationships and your health and your feelings of deserving. Mind blown. So number three is for you to, number two, or number two, is for you to learn how to reconnect with those younger parts and learn how to get back into your body. What I'm going to recommend you do, if this is brand new for you, I want you to really get that this is very difficult. It's not going to be easy. It's not intuitive. You're going to have massive resistance. You're not going to want to do it. You're going to want to escape into safety, into your thoughts, and it's a practice. It's like learning a new language. It really is. It's like learning Greek all of a sudden when you've never spoken it. You think that it should be intuitive, but you're going to be consistently gaslighting and invalidating yourself every time you get triggered. Becoming trigger-proof, I talk about trigger-proof, that's the name of my Facebook community. Make sure if you're on um, if you're on Clubhouse right now, click that link in my bio and join my Facebook community. If you put your email in, you get to my trigger-proof training. People think, oh, trigger-proof means I never get triggered again. No, trigger-proof actually means, it doesn't mean trigger-less. It means expanding that space between stimulus and response and taking the chronic conditioned, you know, generational self-abandonment and self-hatred that comes from rejecting our own emotions and turning it into deeper self-love, turning it into deeper self-trust. And... Um, taking conflict and turning it into deeper intimacy. That's what becoming trigger-proof is. So when I realized that, I went on that journey back into my body, um, I was able to change my relationships. I was able to heal from anxiety, know how to regulate anxiety, connect with my purpose, connect to safety, have secure relationships. And the people that I hadn't seen in a while, they're like, Nima, you've changed. There's something really different about you, which is what all of our clients friends, family say, people who haven't seen them, fuck, you're so different right now. That's what happens when you learn how to regulate your your autonomic nervous system by changing your relationship with those emotions. One of the um, exercises I'm going to give you that you can start practicing right now while you're kind of in the meantime is to set up random alarms on your phone every single day. And when that random alarm shows up, maybe four or five times a day, you take a pause and then you check in and you go into your body and you identify and you feel what you're feeling. Even if it's not, even if it's not fun to feel, I feel really ashamed right now. I feel really angry right now. And notice how resistant you are to those emotions. Notice how much you hate that you feel them and how you want to get rid of them and how you'd rather just fucking abandon them altogether and just sedate yourself altogether like most of us do with social media, with whatever. By the way, I, I realize I, the, the irony, we're on social media right now, but my commitment is that 
whatever content that you can uh, consume of mine helps wake you up rather than put you asleep, which means telling you some truths that are not usually very pleasant because I talk about reality and reality isn't always roses, roses. And so I get a lot of flack for that. So I, I like to talk about reality. I like to talk about the truth and the truth will set you free, but first it might piss you off. So sorry, not sorry for that. So every few hours, couple hours to pause, get that beep and then check in. You can do it right now as you're listening. How am I feeling right now? <sighs> can you put your hand over your alarm in your body and realize that that is a younger part of you calling to you? That is a younger part of you tired of you avoiding something. That is a younger part of you that wants your attention. It's kind of like a disowned child, an orphan. When you go back to try to connect with them, they're going to have some resistance. If you've kind of abandoned a child and you go in 20 years later and say, hey, mommy's here, um, are they going to just welcome you in with open arms? No. This is a, about changing your relationship with that young, those younger parts. And when you're building trust in a relationship, it's going to take time. So you're healing. If you're truly doing healing rather than coping, it's a path. It's a path. And it is built slowly because it's about restoring the trust back to the self, those younger selves that you've broken because you were trained to, because you were emotionally abandoned and neglected which is a small T trauma, which we're not talking about a lot in society. It's big. You don't have to have had, you don't have to have had just physical violence and sexual violence to have experienced trauma. This is death by a million paper cuts. And over time, it lands in your body just the same. And this isn't to shame your parents. This is to have an uncomfortable conversation, not to blame them, but to help people go, all right, there's no one to blame. It's time for me to take responsibility because if I don't, my life is at stake. Because if I don't have connection to my emotions and my feelings, I don't have a connection to life because life is experience. How many days do you have left? Nine, take 95 minus your age. I'm 46. So I have 17 and then multiply that number by 365. Do it right now. That's how many days you have left. And your experience of life is all going to be determined by how well you're able to feel. It's not just about feeling good. Feel, everybody's obsessed with feeling good. So when we don't feel good and when we're in dorsal or sympathetic because of protect, our nervous system is protecting us, we then gaslight ourselves. We judge, we abandon, we blame and shame. We watch these law of attraction videos where they say the goal is to feel good. And then we wonder why we're so miserable and resisting because we're resisting ourselves. And so getting, learning how to get into your body and learning how to feel is a, is a journey. It's about restoring the relationship that you unconsciously broke because self-abandonment was the only way that you could be safe. And it was a coping strategy it was a survival strategy and it worked and it also hinders your personal relationships and your relationships with deserving itself. So my invitation to you is if you're actually serious about transforming this is to, um, to take action, 
and you know other than watching this and uh, listening to podcasts and reading books which are very helpful to actually take action and participate and 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 really like invest in learning this new language learning the language of your nervous system and so soon as i started seeing the changes in my life i realized i had to create offerings to humanity to help this new endemic it's an endemic every single person that i would talk to whatever their issue was i was like oh you're dealing with the same thing i was so i started updating my trainings and i started going back into i work again and i created a new offering i call it's called the intimacy upgrade because i realized i had an intimacy disorder a disorder of intimacy with myself i was like no wonder i can't have connection with other people that's genuine and authentic so i created a program i was like what do i call it ah it's called the intimacy upgrade and so i started teaching that to people and then covid hit and then i realized that crap are my live events which were part of the program I can't do them anymore. So what do I do? I created two events called Breathwork and Badassery and the Overview Experience. And I created them and I, we do them every month. And so the Breathwork and Badassery is an event that I created. Well, it's for my, my clients, right? But then I decided, wait, I'm going to open it up for the public. So other people who want to practice this work and, and are maybe shy, they have trepidation. They have fear. They don't know if they should trust this guy on the internet. Like, okay, this is a very low risk. I mean, almost no risk. It's a low risk, low kind of um, entrance fee type of thing to test and practice with a community dedicated to transforming this. And what I do is I take you through a seer for through a training of why you ended up where you are. Basically, people are like, fuck, you just told my life story. Everybody says this shit. You just told my life story. I'm like, I know it was my life story, too. And um, then I take you through a series of exercises to get you acquainted with what it's like to be in your body. And then we go into an inner child meditation which will which is triggered by the conversation a younger part that you probably didn't remember you might say i don't remember anything well it'll come up in the conversation you're guided into that meditation and then there's a beautiful sharing part afterwards and then i lead you into a breath work the same breath work that i did that led me down a path the same breath work that jason did when he reached out to me and said hey what are you doing he comes to breath work and he connects with his 11 year old self that was didn't realize he was suppressing all this, you know, trauma. He met him face to face, which led him on a healing path to now wanting to expand his career and his purpose has now expanded. His relationships have now changed. He's let go of relationships that were no longer serving him. And now it's a new path. And it's basically the path I went through. It's my hero's journey. And literally it's your, your own hero's journey because nobody can, nobody can rescue you. Nobody's coming to save you. Nobody's going to nobody's going to uh, kind of do your work. Your it's not your fault, but this is our responsibility to heal what was incomplete with us. Why? Well, because a life without feeling is not really worth it. And if I can't feel and don't have intimacy with myself, I don't have the most important thing, which is 
intimate connections in my relationships, connections that feel safe, connections that feel authentic, the ability to just ask for what I want and feel deserving and receiving of it. It all begins with connecting with those younger parts and believe it or not, within the breath. So if you're keen, jump in and join us on, uh, it, the link is in my bio on Instagram. And I have a chance for anybody who resonates with this story to come and ask any questions. Uh, please go ahead and, and jump on and, and ask. Um, but if you wanna know the difference between coping and healing, uh, that's why I created those trainings, for people to really see the difference. And it was funny, when Jason, after he did that first one, he messaged me and he said, I feel like I've done five, 10 years of therapy in these last four hours. I'm like, that's what everybody says. And it's so interesting how you don't even have to talk about it. We even have therapists that come up and ask questions, therapists, doctors who help other people. But if you're not actually doing your own work, then it's, you know, consider the possibility you were doing what I was doing. You were using helping other people as an escape, as a, as a coping strategy, which I was guilty of. So I decided I'd, to do the work and I make it a part of my practice. And uh, on the 18th, it's on Saturday the 18th, it's our next event. I think it's Sunday morning in Australia. So the link is in the bio and I'm gonna put a link in my Facebook group um, for you to jump in, you know, if you wanna learn the difference between coping and healing. In the meantime, I have some time for anyone who has questions. I would love to hear it. Go ahead and raise your hand. I see some familiar faces. Evelyn, it's nice to have you back. I was surprised you're back after I was giving you such tough love on our last call. But uh, if anybody has a question about the difference between coping and healing, I'd love for you to jump on, request your, raise your hand. And I have time for one question. And... Hopefully it'll be, consider the possibility, whatever you're challenged by, you're, you're questioning, other people are too. So it'll be a gift to the container just by asking. So I'm gonna give you the opportunity to ask any questions or share. And usually sometimes when that happens, it's all I hear is crickets. People are kind of nervous. What's he gonna do? Is he gonna call me out? No, I won't. <laughs> if you don't want, I'll ask permission. But if you have any questions, you want to know what the difference if you have in, in your specific case, you know, I'd also maybe a share what came up for you in this conversation. Um, what was relevant for you? I'd love to hear, uh, give an opportunity. This is how you can tell it's a live event. There it is. Well, nobody has a question. That's cool. So yeah, just wanted, to, oh, of course, somebody now does it. Annie, come on up. Would love to hear from you. Yes, welcome, Annie. Good evening, uh, morning or afternoon, wherever you are. Thank you so much for this conversation. Uh, my question is, I took a venture down uh, EMDR therapy. Uh -huh. And um, that was not a good place for me to be. Okay. And so I stopped. Yeah. So um, what made it and not I've a been good doing my own. What made it not a good place to be? Um, I'm curious. Hello, Facebook Clubhouse world. Mm -hmm. um, it just 
brought back traumatic life experiences yeah. that manifested in my relationships too strongly for me to cope with. Yeah. It was beyond your ability to adapt. Yeah. Cool. I, I, I don't know. You're the doctor. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, here's the thing that no, I want to say. I, also... I, I do want to point, point out, this is the thing with healing. When you're healing, it involves going back and feeling past traumatic events. And so if you have these feelings come up, then you're easily able to label it. Oh no, that's bad. It didn't go, it didn't work for me. And often when we're healing our traumas, we mistakenly think that because we're feeling these emotions coming up again, that it didn't work for me. And that's not actually necessarily true. Uh, to heal those, those unconscious, first of all, there's probably shit that we've been all covering up that we don't even know that are there. But if our, my clients come in and start within the first six weeks noticing their past wounds getting triggered and they gaslight themselves thinking that it shouldn't be that way, I feel worse, it's not working, then they're, they're, mista they're mistaken because in order to heal it, we must feel it. We must change our relationship with feeling. And so the difference, the difference is, is that if you have a container, if it's, if you're doing, you're working with a therapist, it's just kind of one-on-one -on -one sessions. So you're going in going, all right, one-on-one -on -one, doing a th therapy session. How do I feel now? No, it's not working after six or seven or whatever. You're like, I'm not feeling any better. Then it's, this is why I tell people when you're signing up for this is that, okay, in order to get to the light, we actually have to go into the darkness and change our change our capacity to feel. Now, it might be that you went in, this is what it sounds like, Annie, that you went in and you were working with somebody who wasn't like titrating you. It was a little bit beyond your capacity to cope and it caused you to destabilize and they didn't give you any tools in coming back but this this will happen sometimes with our clients. They'll get triggered. They'll be like, oh my gosh, my not belonging comes up. That person triggered me. And so that's why we have a community. We have a team. We sometimes get on a call and we're like, what you're feeling is totally normal. You're here to expect, you're not here to feel better. You're here to get better at feeling those emotions. And slowly as they trust and they lean in and then, you know, there's gotta be, there's a thing called, that's why we call it titration in somatic work. It's just going just beyond your capacity, just pack, cause that's how muscle is built. We don't go to your comfort zone. We go just beyond it and then train you into coming back. And that takes several times. So um, that's why I had to stop you before your whole thing, Annie, I apologize. But it's just, when is it, what, what, why didn't it, I hear that. And I'm just like, wait, why didn't it work? And so what happened was it went beyond your capacity and you weren't shown how to come back. And so that's not necessarily because of the therapy. It's because of the container between you and the, 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 the therapist. It's a container that you have. And so there has to be some context set up that, hey, Annie, what we're about to do is we're going to go back and we're going to experience some stuff. It's not going to be fun. You're going to have a lot of tears, going to have a lot of emotions. When that happens, do A, B, C, da, 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 or learn how to ride it out. And so it's a training. So um, 
yeah, it just sounds like you had that experience and it doesn't mean you failed. It doesn't mean that there was something wrong. It doesn't mean that you had a, you, you went the wrong, the wrong route at all. It actually just means that you found your co- your limit. And if you turn around and run away and not go back to those old wounds, then they will forever, what, whatever you bury, buries you. Whatever you resist, persists. And so got to slay the dragon somehow. It sounds like you just have to find a community and a container that can kind of guide you slowly uh, because, you know, the cave you fear entering holds the treasure you seek. Does that make sense at all? Does that land at all, Annie? Absolutely made sense, 100%. Um, but I make it past door one. Um, and I, um, I've enjoyed this conversation greatly. Um, I have, uh, nervous system issues, obviously, um, years of fight or flight. So, um, with that being said, it was physically manifesting in my life. Yes. Um, and my health. Yep. And I talked with my therapist and said, I, I can't do this right now. Right. And I ended it there. Right. So my question would be, what would another route go? I'm obvious. I'm not in a place in my life where I can just take a month off and, right. and uh, focus on this. So what would be, what would you recommend? I guess my question is for someone who has those really dark traumas, yeah. but is still trying to peek their way out. Yep. Um, in a, <laughs> what's the best way to put it? Um, and not necessarily a public arena. <laughs> in not a public arena. What, what do you mean? What's on, the best way to Facebook. do it? What's the best on way to Facebook. do it in not a public arena? What's the best way to deal with my traumas in not a public arena? Did you was that your question? Yes, meaning what what maybe perhaps it's your program that I should be looking into. Yeah, that's exactly but what I was just I, gonna, I was just going to say find a guide that you feel kind of comfortable with and you understand and a community and commit to the process. That's it. Commit to the process because what you're saying, what I'm hearing you say, it sounds like you're saying, how do I fix this without really dealing with it? This is what everybody wants. What's the painless route? How do I go where I don't have to feel those emotions? Well, I get that you can't just go because when you started working through this, physical symptoms came up that hindered you, right? And this is what's stopping many people. So you have two options. You can continue avoiding it, which is what most people would do. I wouldn't, I wouldn't blame you. This is what I would say 90%, 95% of people are doing is they're avoiding. And, and then, you know, you got to ask yourself, because it's a kind of a cost benefit question. What's the cost of me continually avoiding? If I don't do something, if I don't change this now, this is what I want everybody to ask. If I don't change this now, because you're going to have obstacles no matter what. There's going to be financial. There's going to be time. There's going to be, oh, it's going to hurt. Oh, it's scary. Like all of them. And this is where I kind of take on the tough love approach with people because I feel like a lot of therapy is just coddling and it's just very disempowering. So this, I'm, I'm I'm one part coddle. No, I'm one part empathy, one part kick ass. I think we need both. That's how I... That's the only way I got through it. It was just kind of tell it to me straight, doc. It's you have two choices. This is your choice point, Annie. 
You either continue the avoidance because you don't want to feel those sensations again, or you take it on valiantly and make a purpose, make a cause. There's got to be a why that's big enough. For me, the why is very simple. I have a son. Um, I have a community. I have a family. Uh, I have a relationship that I want to keep developing with my wife. Uh, I want to be healthy. I want to live a, a badass life with the 17,000 days that I have left. I want to realize I, I'm, we're all going to die someday. It's very good. Uh, the Greek Stoics would talk about uh, memento mori. The, the reality, of whether you deal with this or not, we're all going to die. And actually, one of my clients is a, a near death. She's a uh, around surrounding death. What do they call that? Post, Not post-mortem. But um, she guides people. She's a um, nurse practitioner. That's end of life, right? And she says, I can see the people that actually deal with their traumas. They die very peacefully. The ones that don't, it's really like fucking scary. So she, I, when she signed up and she started doing the work, it was like, I realize I've been avoiding these things. And I, and I know that whether I deal with them now or later, I can't avoid them forever, right? So coping strategy number one, Annie, is keep avoiding. Or number two, just create a, a why that's big enough. Why? What do you want? What is it that you want? What do you want? I want to feel safe in my body. I want to uh, be able to regulate my emotions. I want to, um, you know, just be able to eat and feel, you know, like it's going down easy. I want to be able to exercise. I want to pursue my dream. I want to, I want to be able to climb and hike up that mountain. I, what do you want? And, you know, is, am I willing to stay connected to that vision even though there will be many obstacles, including scariness, my feelings, um, my physical symptoms might come up. So you got to go in really willing to be doing it scared. Don't wait for the fear to be gone. Find a guide, find a community, and just go all in. In your situation, Annie, what I would recommend is go ahead and just jump into the, uh, the breathwork experience and just kind of see what that's like. See what comes up on the other side, right? You're going to have some great information. You might even notice how much you're avoiding your feeling. Great. Then there's an opportunity afterwards. If you want to be a cycle breaker, you can apply and go all in. But take action. You know, do something that involves you moving the needle forward and being completely honest with yourself and the people that you're working with along every step of the way and just expect resistance. You can't do it without resistance. That's how you build muscle and just be really connected to your why. That's my suggestion. Thank you very much. You bet. Thanks for your question. It's very common. The question really kind of comes down to, um, hold on, let me just give me 10. The questions really go down to, um, I want to do this. I want to heal, but I'm actually too scared to heal. And how do I do it painlessly? How do I do it just by myself without anybody really... How do I, that's really what kind of what's behind it. And we can't do it alone and nobody can do it for us. That's what my mentor, Peter Levine says. 
We can't do it alone and no one can do it for us. So I'm going to invite one more question. If you want to come up, I think Aisha, Aishwari is coming up. Go ahead if you're still here. If not, no worries. So yeah, um, I wish that it was easy. This is not easy. This is, this is why I, it's kind of like you got to take on an identity of becoming the one to break the cycle. Annie, I want, to con I want you to consider the possibility that you were born and you experienced all of that trauma, which dysregulated your nervous system. And it was very unfortunate that you had to live through that. And what if you were put on this earth to break that cycle in your bloodline? What if you're doing this not just for you, but for your further generations, for your, uh, for your past generations? And when I take that on, that there's like a responsibility to it. Not, it not, I'm not taking on like a martyr, by the way. I'm not doing it out of a fawning. I'm doing it like as a, as, a, as a why, as a meaningful why, so that when you have a meaningful why attached to it, you're willing to endure pain along that path. So there's no healing without pain. There's no healing without feeling. And the biggest obstacle is that we don't want to do it. We don't want to do it. This is too damn scary. So I'm offering that as a um, kind of a, a, a concept for you is that coping is when we go every week and tell our story or we do, you know, techniques, which are great, tapping techniques and stuff to not have to feel stuff. But true healing involves actually feeling. And the biggest obstacle is that we've been gaslighting, denying, shaming all of our feelings. It's been conditioned self-abandonment and that's not going anywhere. And so the, the, the path to victory is about cultivating a healthy, connected relationship with ourselves. N and nobody can do that for us. Nobody's coming to save me. Nobody's coming to save you. It's just you, your, you, the work is to become the hero that you're looking to, looking for on the outside. A therapist won't do it for you. So it's really any for you and everybody else. It's about you taking on being the hero, you know, and starting to treat yourself differently and to reparent it's to kind of start over. It's to new, learn a new language. Learn the language of your nervous system. Instead of having a therapist do it for me, it's wiser for me to learn how to become the active operator of my nervous system. And the best place to begin is through the breath. Oh, Aishwarya, welcome. Got time for another question. Hi, uh, thank you. Uh, so I deal with a lot of panic attacks. Yeah. So cope with panic attacks or do you heal panic attacks because when you get those attacks i think it's it's very difficult for you to um, do either i mean that's right i don't know you spiral into thoughts and yeah yeah so when you're having a panic like i get we all anxiety is basically a, an alarm system in your body and if you stay in the old model you're like oh i get panic attacks how do i heal panic attacks and, and, and the whole kind of fantasy is that I'm not going to feel anxiety again. And what you do is, is to understand, Aishwarya, um, that anxiety is a distraction for feelings that you've been suppressing. 
is is shame, anger, resentment is too painful to feel. So anxiety starts to show up. And the trick to healing anxiety is to learn how to become the active operator of your nervous system. So that when the feelings and sensations come up, instead of going, oh no, I'm having panic attacks, I'm gonna suppress them, you learn how to ride the wave of the nervous system. You learn how to identify the trigger and use the trigger to go back and connect with a younger part of yourself asking for your healing. So as you practice this skill, it's a skill that you can learn that nobody really taught us. As you practice that and you go back and you connect with those younger parts, you're now able to take little triggers that usually create sensations of panic and anxiety and you're able to listen to them and you're able to self-regulate. So it's not about people think healing means I don't feel anxiety anymore. Of course I do. Before I hit go live, I always get this feeling of tenseness, right? Um, the question is, is that here's the real question you want to ask uh, uh, Aishwarya is, what are these panic attacks stopping me from doing? What am I not experiencing in life? And the truth is your relationship with anxiety is gonna spill into you as a, as a wife, as a husband, a partner, as a parent, as a coworker, as an entrepreneur. And without straightening this out, it spills into every area of your life. So instead of trying to heal anxiety, Wiser to ask yourself, what am I not doing? Well, I'd really like to start a business. One, one of our clients, um, panic attack, anxiety. Uh, I was like, all right, instead of having the fantasy that you're never gonna feel anxious again, because the truth of the matter is the f whatever you're anxious about, soon as it's over, you're gonna find something else to be anxious about. <laughs> That's how life is. There's an anxiety within life. So most of us go into healing anxiety with this fantasy that I'm never gonna have fear or anxious feelings again, but that's a bullshit fantasy. I'd rather have you ask, which I asked this one client, what, are, what is this stopping you from doing? And she's like, me and my husband, we love one another, we have a great relationship. He really wants a baby badly, but my anxiety and panic attacks won't allow it. So I was on a discovery call with them and I'm like, can you help me with anxiety? I said, well, I guarantee you, like me, you're going to have anxious things to have in your life. You're gonna have things you're gonna be anxious about. However, you're going to have the capability of regulating it to the point where you will be ready to have a child. And when you get pregnant, is your anxiety gonna go away? Fuck no. <laughs> when, I, when, I, when, we had, when we found out we were pregnant with Dominic, Diana was pregnant with Dominic, do you think that anxiety was gone? No, we just, that's when anxiety begins. The difference is you, when you master the skills of learning how to autonomically regulate and be the active operator of your autonomic system, you then know how to regulate it and your life keeps expanding to greater and greater things. Now I have bigger responsibility. I have bigger anxieties than I did five years ago. So it, it hasn't gone away, however, who I am in the face of it has changed and I'm able to self-regulate and create safety through it. That's really the aim rather than healing anxiety. Everybody says, I can, I can heal your anxiety. No you, no, you will always have something to have anxiety about. Well, as long as you're breathing, you'll have something to, to feel anxious about. The question is, 
am I able to become the active operator of my system or do I fall victim to my emotions that I'm avoiding? <laughs> so that's your real um, aim, Aishwarya. Does that resonate at all? Does that land at all? Um, it absolutely does. Yeah. Um, I think uh, it makes a lot of sense. I think I've gotten a different perspective. Yes, everybody has this incorrect, everybody has yeah. a lopsided perspective on anxiety. They think maybe this treatment and then I won't feel it again. That's not the goal here. The goal here is to learn how to dance with it. Because if you're living a badass life and you're expanding to new territory and going after new things, then anxiety is a part of it. So the question is, can I, can I self-regulate so that I can then have kids, which is what our, our, my client basically did. After three months of mastering this, she turns to her husband and is like, I'm ready to have a baby now. Is her anxiety gone? No, there's different things that come up, but she's now able to expand her capacity. This is really, stop praying for a fucking fantasy that you're never gonna have these shadow emotions again, like sadness and anger and just happiness and peace all the time and enlightenment. No, instead of wishing for that, I'd rather people get real and start learning skills to be able to adapt and heal the triggers that come up pointing you in a direction of a younger part that needs your attention. That's when the anxiety becomes a portal to healing versus I'm just gonna turn away from it and just wish it going away so that I can cope. So that's what, that's what our trainings and uh, my, my programs and everything we offer. It's, it's a different way of looking at it. And, and Aishwarya, you're not gonna wanna do it. You're gonna wanna avoid. This is usually most people who say anxiety, they have anxiety, they don't realize, but anxiety becomes kind of like this coping strategy and it just becomes a friend. And it's like, it's your identity and it's just like, who would I be without it? So you're gonna have to go overcome, you're gonna have to get to a point where it's stopping you from actually living. It's so uncomfortable that you're willing to bear the discomfort of showing up and training how to heal that. Um, honestly, yeah, I have tried a couple of things, but, um, the whole panic attacks, they tend to manifest in your body Yeah, and you have physical symptoms where I had to go to the ER. Yeah. Time. It's terrifying. Um, but I think one thing I've established is I'm not going to die. Right. So I think that's like a sad bit yeah. of progress. In Everybody thinks that. Around. Yeah. People who register for breathwork, I get like five emails. Oh my God, I'm so scared. Like they literally think they're gonna die because what's happening is you're just afraid of feeling. <laughs> and so your anxiety, your healing of anxiety will be increasing your capacity to feel your fear and you can't do it by avoiding it. So you actually have to lean into it at some point. It's like people reaching out to me constantly saying, I want to heal my, it's like, I want to heal my, it's like saying, I want to heal my fear of dogs, uh, of dogs, but I don't want to touch a dog. I want to do it without touching a dog. Well, fuck, eventually, if you want to heal your fear of dogs, you actually have to confront and pet the dog. You can't heal your fear of dogs without confronting it, which is the biggest obstacle because the last thing you want to do is to confront that. And it's the only thing to do. So that's what we do. Thank you for the question.
Thank you, and thank you for answering. Yeah, you bet. I appreciate that. You know, every single week we get people uh, in our room saying, you know, I have anxiety and I get panic attacks. And I'm like, I know why. You have attachment traumas that you haven't dealt with. You've tried coping. You've gone to the doctor. You've probably taken meditation, medication. You've tried meditating through it. Oftentimes, these are coping strategies. And to heal it, you actually got to go face it. So come to breath work. Come to do these things. And that's how you're going to face it. That's how you face it. And then invariably, they go, thank you. And then they're like, but I'm too scared to do it. And so on one hand, we want to heal it. And on the other hand, we have huge resistance. So the cave you fear entering holds the treasure you seek. And you can't heal your traumas. You can't heal without facing and feeling it. Otherwise, you're just coping. And most therapies are coping strategies. And so I was committed to creating something different. And I really want to give love to the cycle breaker, the youth for being here, uh, but to the cycle breakers who are actually taking action and doing the work rather than just talking about doing the work. It's the difference between reading about exercises and actually registering and showing up in the gym. So for those of you ready to do the work, I look forward to seeing you at the next perfect time. All the links are in the bio and I'll see you. Thank you so much. See you at the next perfect time.